0: Welcome to Illinois Family Spotlight, a conversation about faith, family, freedom, the state of Illinois, our nation, and conservative action. Here's David Smith and Monty Larrick.
1: Thanks for making Illinois Family Spotlight part of your day. I'm Monty Larrick. I'm joined by John Stone Street. Mr. Stone Street is a Chuck Colson Center for Christian Worldview fellow. His breakpoint commentaries heard on more than 1,200 radio stations gifted writer, public speaker, and we caught up with him at the Illinois Christian Home Educators Convention at Olivet Nazarene University in Bourbonnais. John, based on what's happening in our culture and in our uh, public schools, a lot of Christian parents are considering home education or Christian schools. What argument do you make that's helping to give parents some direction?
2: Well, I think that um, unfortunately, not every parent has, you know, the freedom economically or whatever to choose any of those options. But what we have to do is take responsibility for the education of our our children. It's a concept that um, Abraham Kuyper called sphere sovereignty. That within certain spheres there are certain authorities, and when authorities step out of their sphere into somebody else's sphere, it causes problems. So there are certain areas in which the government has authority. But when the government steps into the realm of the family and supersedes the authority of the parents, now you've got a conflict and now you've got a problem. And increasingly, that's what's happened in education, where it's been seen not as a fundamental responsibility of a parent, but the fundamental responsibility of the state. Well, the state has certain goals and certain things that they want to do through education in order to create the certain kind of citizen that they that they want. And increasingly, that in, comes along with all kinds of ideological baggage about things like gender and sexuality, progressive agenda items, and so on and so on and so on. And so the, the main thing to remember is uh, whose job it is. It's the parent's job. Uh, God uh, gave kids to parents. The government has its responsibility. This is not one of them. The church has its responsibility, its area of authority, and we've got to keep these lines clear or we really have some problems.
1: You mentioned it's the church's responsibility too. It seems like churches are reluctant to get behind the idea of maybe starting their own school or coming alongside homeschoolers. What do we need to say to our pastors and church leaders to help get them on board?
2: Well, that's a great question. I I think that not every church would have that calling to start a school, but I think every church should support the parent's calling uh, to to parent and to educate their own kid how they they, they see fit. I I think for for many, uh, churches seem to think, well, you know, that a... Uh, it is, we, we want to send missionaries to the culture, and so we want our Christian kids in public schools. And I, and I get that, but um, you don't send a five or six year old to be a missionary, in and in 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 especially in a hostile country. Uh, and we're not talking about physical hostility here, but we all are talking about emotional and ideological hostility to Christian beliefs. And so the best thing I think that, that pastors can do is to support parents and help them understand whose job it is. Uh, this is kind of the basic theological education of what it means to live in the world, right? It, it's not just knowing theology, like, okay, this is who God is, this is who Jesus is, this is what the Bible says. It's being able to live out what is true in the context of this cultural moment and the lives that we live. And parents have to wrestle with education, so pastors should support that.
1: John, here in Illinois, legislatures decided that we need to teach LGBT history. In our taxpayer-funded government schools, kindergarten through 12th grade. If you're a Christian student, if you're a Christian parent, how do you respond?
2: Well, I, you know, I, I think um, many parents need to really consider that this is not what my, what my kids are taught, and we need to exercise our responsibility to protect our kids, and that means protect their minds as well as their their bodies and their emotions. That might mean for parents pull them out of that day that my that means for every parent if they get that instruction. And which by the way, it's not just in that particular class where that sort of ideology is being taught. Obviously it's being communicated in, in, in art and movies and television programs and and there's usually not an announcement like to now we're gonna talk about this new kind of you know, ideology uh, about uh, human hum, human nature and sexuality and so on. And so parents have to be proactive in that conversation. Um, they have to have it. Look, I, I think this is where for us it gets very difficult if you have the option, if you have the alternative to pull your kid out and educate them in a different way. Um, it would make the most sense. Uh, for those who don't, you got to have that conversation. And by the way, if, if a school classroom isn't having that conversation with your kid, the larger culture already is. So this has gotta be, hey, here's here's what this ideology is. This is where that ideology is wrong. And here's the truth. And we're gonna have to have that conversation. N.T. Wright said, said it this way. He said, we don't always get as Christians to choose what we talk about in the culture. Sometimes the culture chooses. Uh, You know, we experienced that with a Disney movie here, flying on a plane over there, you know, behind a couple, a same-sex couple showing affection. How do you, you, well, listen, you can act as if it's normal, but that reinforces the bad idea. So talk about it. What's happening there? What's wrong with this? How do we think about it and why? Uh, It's a a proactive uh, education of discernment.
1: There's real no opt-out for uh, parents for their kids with this LGBT uh, history mandate. So it's yeah, a conversation it's a- that you really have to have with your kids.
2: Well, look, I, 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 that's been part of some of this state level legislation. Uh, we've, we were able to kind of attack it and soften it in Colorado. Uh, but I know in California, for example, uh, parents can opt their students out of kind of the mechanics of same sex behavior, but not the transgender ideology part. Well. Who says I can't opt them out? I mean, at, at some point, this goes to the to the level of, no, you do opt them out. You're not going to teach my kid this. My kid doesn't belong to you. And and, and this is something I think a lot of parents are reticent to do that are in that situation. Now, again, I think that, that decision ranges from, no, you're not going to school on this day. We're not going to have this. You're not going to learn this from this. Teacher, and we'll fight it. And if that means you fail this class or fail this test, then we do it. This is part of a larger conversation that the church needs to have. Increasingly, Christian conviction is not seen as just quaint and outdated. It's seen as evil and wrong. And so there are social penalties for believing in it that we didn't have to deal with before. What we call it at the Colson Center is the theology of getting fired. You know, it's been a long time in America since we had to choose, you know, Christians had to choose, if ever, between their con- career and their convictions. Now, our brothers and sisters in other parts of the world sometimes choose between their convictions and their life, much less their career. But it's coming to that. You know, my friend Jack Phillips faced that. Um, Barinal Stutzman faced that. And I think a lot of parents face that. I want my kid to get in a great school. Okay, well, how are you going to handle this? Is it worth their soul to get into that great school? Well, they can't have an F on their... Well, maybe they need an F. Maybe the best thing they can do. I, I, I spoke to a, a group of Christian college students last year. Great school, trains nurses, engineers. I mean, unbelievable school, 40000 $50,000 a year. I said, you know, you guys might be receiving a $200,000 education, and the most important thing you'll do in your life to follow Jesus is get fired. It's just, it's just a new calculus that we've got to be ready to do. Now, hopefully, you know, groups like you know, the Illinois Family Institute and others are able to kind of do what we can to carve out space for conscience rights in states and, you know, both state, at the state level and federally. But look, it, it, it's not an abnormal part of Christian history for Christians have to make really tough decisions like that. So, I, you know, when, we say, when the rule says you can't opt your kid out of this class, what? It's like when a TSA agent says you know I have to you know do a pat down of your daughter my answer is no I know you say that's your policy but I don't care you know you're not going to do it right it, it, in other words you have to it, it's a conscious decision something bad might happen but no it's not worth it and I think parents need to get to that point too
1: JOHN STONE STREET HERE ON ILLINOIS FAMILY SPOTLIGHT. WE WILL CONTINUE OUR CONVERSATION. WE'RE GOING TO TALK ABOUT THE EQUALITY ACT AND A COUPLE THINGS HAPPENING IN ILLINOIS RIGHT AFTER THIS.
0: Hello, I'm David Smith, the Executive Director of Illinois Family Institute, a state-based Christian pro-life and pro-family public policy organization. I want to invite you to join us as we seek to be salt and light to a dark and rapidly decaying culture. You can do that in a number of ways. For example, you can join our email list to get timely alerts and great cultural commentaries. You can like our Facebook page, follow us on Twitter, listen to our podcast, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. You can attend one or more of the special events and forums we host in different parts of the state, We do all these things to encourage and equip Christians in Illinois. You see, we need you to help us fulfill our mission to boldly bring a biblical perspective to public policy. Our faith requires us to be bold, speak truthfully, and love our neighbors. Join us. Visit illinoisfamily.org to learn more. Again, that is illinoisfamily.org.
1: This is Albert Moeller for TownHall.com. The state of Maine has now legalized physician-assisted suicide. The Associated Press, in their reporting on the story, said reporters were, quote, declaring it in line with the state's tradition of individualism and opponents insisting the practice tempts fate, end quote. Let's just look at that again. In line with Maine's historic tradition of individualism. That's the claim of absolute personal autonomy that we see elsewhere today, but it's here packaged as part of the state's long tradition of individualism. We're told that physician assisted death can be pursued when reasonable medical judgment would produce death within six months. But the culture of death always says here's all we want. We will draw that very clear line. But it always presses on because the logic of the movement presses on. And where the logic is allowed to go, the law will frighteningly follow. I'm Albert Moeller. This is Illinois Family Spotlight, Monteglaric here, joined by John Stone Street with the Colson Center on Breakpoint Commentaries, author, public speaker, gifted public speaker. And uh, we're at the Illinois Christian Home Educators Convention at Olivet Nazarene University in Bourbonnais. The Equality Act has passed the U.S. House. I don't think a lot of people understand what that means and just how dangerous it is it is or will be if it should become law. And others are saying, well, it will never pass in the Senate. But we need to have our radar up on this, don't we?
2: Well, the Equality Act's been around for decades, and this is about as far as it's gotten. Now, there's, I think, good reason to think that it will die in the Senate. but. If it came to the floor of the Senate, then, uh, especially this is a year, for example, where the Chamber of Commerce has publicly endorsed the Equality Act, and the Chamber of Commerce has a lot of influence over, you know, Republican lawmakers, and so it, it's just, it, it's gone from being a non-starter to being more of a possibility than ever. I, I, I don't think it's going to go further, but here, here's the issue. That's this year. The next election changes things, right? Um, that's this year. Uh, that's federal. There's very similar things at the state level. And really where the danger is presented, what the Equality Act does is it it takes categories like sexual orientation and gender identity and elevates them to the same category as race in federal law. And so we have public accommodation laws that were part of the Civil Rights Act which basically were designed so that African Americans in particular could fully participate in society, could travel across, you know, the, the country, find a hotel, you know, could, could could basically find a restaurant, find gas. And this was talking about a situation where literally they could not participate in society. What the Equality Act would do was take sexual orientation and gender identity. So taking a group of people who are fully participating in society, right, who if this baker won't bake a cake, the baker right down the street will, right? If this hotel, if this bed and breakfast won't serve, all the hotel chains will. There's not a need for public accommodation, but it elevates that. And it basically uh, means that anyone who has a deeply held belief uh, about sexual orientation and gender identity that's different than the acceptable, culturally acceptable view, now will they go into the dustbins of history like the KKK or radical racist. So it's not only what it does to elevate sexual orientation and gender identity to a category of human being that it's not, it's that dissenters then get demoted to a category of the great you know, villains of American history and there's really no way out. So this would be a game changer uh, when it comes to religious freedom. Uh, and what we mean, of course, by religious freedom is not what we believe, but the ability to order our lives and live out our beliefs in the public square.
1: Well, this could impact your job situation?
2: Oh, it would. There's no question. It would impact the job situation, um, and it would impact, especially, uh, privately held businesses, publicly traded companies. It would. It would impact churches and nonprofits. That sexual orientation and gender identity then, in law, becomes the same as race, even though uh, scientifically it's not the same as race. Historically, it hasn't been seen the same thing as race, and so it's a it's a real problem on a number of levels.
1: I think a lot of pastors are silent on this thinking, well, we're hands off here in the church, Mm -hmm. but the scope of the Equality Act could come right inside the church.
2: Well, and I think that reveals what is, in my mind, the deeper problem is that I think a lot of pastors, because there's been so much cultural heat and because I think they feel like speaking out against this, you know, puts them kind of in a, in a disfavored position in culture, makes them kind of the bad guys that they don't want to do it. And they'll say things like, well, if, you know, anybody tries to make me perform a same-sex wedding, that's where I'll draw the line. Well look, I don't think any pastor should um, have to perform a same-sex wedding, but I also believe that the kingdom of God is not just pastors and missionaries, it's anybody. And I believe that all jobs are sacred and I believe that all callings and vocations are sacred. And so I don't think a pastor should have to perform a same-sex marriage. But if I believe that and I believe that the baker's job is just as sacred as the pastor's, well, then just like a pastor shouldn't have to perform a sermon or a, a wedding ceremony that violates his beliefs, a baker shouldn't be forced to participate in something that violates his beliefs. Both should have that sort of freedom. So it's a great loss and, if it, and what pastors need to understand is if it gets to the level of the church, then religious freedom largely has been lost. And they need to stand up for the sacredness of calling and work for the bakers, the the, the calligraphers, the florists, and everybody else in their congregation.
1: Well, it could get to the point where, because of the Equality Act, you would have to Hire a secretary who is uh, an avowed lesbian, mm-hmm. etc. Or down the road, could it be that well, you're preaching about homosexuality, and we consider that hate speech?
2: Yeah, I mean it could be. I mean, of course, the 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 the, the magic here is what's counted as an exception, and that in and of itself is the problem. So any sort of we saw this with the HHS mandate uh, of Obamacare is that. Everyone had to provide abortifacient sort of medications except this very small group of people that received exceptions. Well, that was so small that that didn't include the Little Sisters of the Poor group of nuns, right? In, In other words, that gives the government the right to determine what counts as a religious group and what doesn't what counts as an organization or an initiative that should be shaped by religious opinion and what should be, you know, in the realm of public accommodation. That's not the power you want to give the government. In other words, because they will draw the line and get it more and more. And then, by the way, this is actually the problem with many that are trying to respond to the Equality Act with some sort of kind of compromise, like we saw in Utah. Um, And there's even, you know, large groups that are advocating for so-called compromise solutions. But again, that gives the power to define what is and what is not a religious group to the state as opposed to keeping it in the realm of conscience. And, yeah, so all of those scenarios are possible, but the bigger issue is the government's the one that gets to make that decision, and that's a real problem.
1: John, we hear about so-called gay Christianity and... We know that's infiltrating some of our Bible-believing churches. Uh, Would the Equality Act kind of speed that process along?
2: Well, you know, that's a great question, and I'm not sure of the answer uh, to that. So far, right now, the uh, churches, so-called churches that have embraced um, kind of a new sexual ideology are churches that have already abandoned the gospel in other ways. People that are strong on things like the authority of Scripture, the deity of Christ, the uniqueness of salvation time after time after time, those groups have actually reaffirmed their commitment and those denominations have reaffirmed their commitment to biblical marriage. And so that's the good news. I guess the prediction that this is overrunning the church, I just think is a false prediction right now. It doesn't mean we're theologically sound enough to prevent it, but right now it is. But I think your point is a little bit different, which is that most of America in the 1960s Much of America wasn't ready for the Civil Rights Act. They weren't ready really for the racial equality that was rightly promoted and preached um, by many Christians, including like Dr. King and others. On the flip side, what that tells us is is that most times politics is downstream from culture, right? So we get the laws that the culture reflects. But the Civil Rights Act is one of those things where in many cases the law was upstream from culture. The culture wasn't ready for it, but the law ushered it in. And I think that is where the, something like the Equality Act would be. I mean, look, look, most Americans don't want to open up private, intimate facilities for women to men. Most people do not want to squander the opportunities that have been presented and provided for women in scholarships and business grants to sports. men. But sports is a big one. America's not there. And so to actually, uh, what this legislation would do would be to mandate that on a group of people that aren't ready for it. And I think that this would be another way in which the law would proceed to culture. And so it would be a bad law and therefore would give us bad culture.
1: Well, even though it may not really see the light of day in the U.S. Senate, maybe we should be calling our senators.
2: Well, we should, because what we need to know is, uh, what our senators need to know is that this isn't universal. In fact, this by the way, it's not, only, it's not even universal within that other side of the movement. I mean, sexual orientation and gender identity are two very different things that have been grouped together. And we've seen increasing evidence that in particular, if you kind of take the acronym, that those in the L camp, who by and large are... Uh, historic feminist, second-wave feminist, third-wave feminist, they're not thrilled with the T's jumping in and claiming women's rights. And uh, so I'm not, I, I think that if you're against the Equality Act, you know, whether it's because of Christian conviction or whether whatever conviction, you should let your senator know. Because I think right now, people in Congress think, okay, there's this side and there's that side, and there's just kind of a universal push. There's not. There's not unanimity on this issue at all. And, yeah, people need to know about that. But the other side of this, and this is, I think, really important, is it's not just the Equality Act. That's a federal-level thing. But state after state after state after state have so-called soji legislation that are enacted at the local level. Or not enacted but then an unelected civil rights commission basically you know forces in a new understanding of non-discrimination or public accommodation even though there's not a soji on the books there and so that is something that I think all citizens need to be aware of too.
1: You know you want to express your opposition to this legislation or these measures going through local governments or state government but how do you do that without sounding like a hater? When they they say equality.
2: Yeah, well, one of the best strategies, I think, is to define the terms, right? What do you mean by equality? Uh, This was, I think, one of the mistakes we made in the marriage issue is that we talked about marriage equality. Well, before you know what marriage is equal to, you need to know what marriage is. You know, if this marriage is the same as that marriage, what is marriage? And we have to define our terms. And I think we've got to get really good at asking good questions. We've got to get really good at articulating our views, and then we've got to stay calm. Right now, I think in particular, uh, there is a level of hysterics from the other side and we often respond in kind. And the fact of the matter is we can't. And then finally, of course, we, we, we care about ideas, not because we want to be right. We care about ideas because we believe what's true and that bad ideas have victims. And you know, the victims of the bad ideas are not just the bakers and the florists on our side of the aisle, but the victims of these bad ideas are people that are pursuing something that's leading them in away from life away from Christ away from flourishing so we do it because we love our neighbors
1: one other question John Illinois has just passed a extreme pro-abortion bill takes away the rights of the unborn essentially but other states are passing
2: laws that protect life where are we headed? Well, we're headed at that Roe v. Wade's back in play. But I think uh, many people think that what that means is, is that Roe will be overturned and then abortion will go from being legal to being illegal. But no, it won't. It'll go back to before Roe. I, Roe won't be overturned. It'll be gutted. That's their best case scenario. And what that means is, is that it'll go back to the states and it already is and so what what the reason that Illinois is doing what it's doing is the same reason that Alabama is doing what it's doing and New York did what it did and, and Mississippi and Ohio and so on is that on one side you have those that are trying to pass the laws that will be the subject of the case that will gut or overturn Roe on the other side you have people really thinking that Roe's in play and therefore kind of securing the rights that they want. So you have states basically locking down, which means the pro-life movement's just begun. And you're gonna have to now work at a state level, not just a federal level, and even a more localized level, and you need common sense restrictions and all kinds of other things. But it's no more settled in Illinois today than it was when Roe was settled in 1973. Abortion's not settled, it's never been settled. So right now, your job in Illinois, you don't want abortion just to be illegal, you want it to be unthinkable. So you work to change hearts and minds. You work to care for women. You work to care for men. And you do what you need to do, uh, and you legally look, work to kind of find restrictions and, and pass legislation, and you keep at it because the battle has just begun. It's not over. We, it, it does, I think a lot of people are seeing that it's back in play, going, well, it's coming to an end. No, it's not coming to an end. It's just beginning. It's just the focus of the battle has moved.
1: John, thank you so much. You heard it here, folks, from John Stone Street, Breakpoint Commentaries, uh, Colson Center, and John, you have a great book, A Practical Guide to Culture, Helping the Next Generation Navigate Today's World. Very timely. Where can people pick it up and just how good is it?
2: (laughs) Well, buy it so my kids can go to college. Breakpoint.org is the best place to find it. You can go to the store there because you can find it on Amazon and wherever else. But you can also subscribe to our daily Breakpoint commentaries and learn more about the Colson Center at that website. So that's a one-stop shop, Breakpoint.org.
1: All right. Thank you so much. John Stone Street. God bless you in your ministry. How can people connect with you?
2: Twitter is a great place, at J.B. Stone Street. And then again, through Breakpoint. Breakpoint Breakpoint.org is kind of the, you can email me through there, contact me through there, find the resources there.
1: God bless you. And God bless you, folks. Please tell a friend about Illinois Family Spotlight. Until next time, God bless.
0: Thank you for listening to Illinois Family Spotlight. For more information, please visit us at ifiaction.org. And look for us on Facebook and Twitter. If you would like to email us questions or comments, please do so at feedback at ifiaction.org. Until next time, stay engaged and keep your eyes on the prize.